Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hello and welcome to Country Roads Confidential here at Yearsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Radio Network. My name is Mike Asaz. I'm situated in the press box above Capital One Stadium here in College Park, Maryland. I'm not in a wind tunnel. It may sound like it. There's an air conditioning on in the booth. However, I'm overlooking the field where we saw West Virginia lose 30-24. to I'm actually watching the charter buses head out through campus back on the interstate for what's not going to be a very pleasant ride home, I'm sure. Chris Anderson, welcome in. I'd like to start off with a question for you. Are you ready? Let's do it. What did you see tonight that was better about West Virginia? I haven't disconnected. The answer is just nothing. Um, I posted immediately after the game that this, this game felt extremely reminiscent of 2019 in that the offense was bad the line blocking was pretty terrible the quarterback play was subpar and then the defense just kept keeps getting put out there over and over and over and over again until they get worn out and then the score makes it looks like the defense played bad as well when i think other than you know a couple and we'll talk about it in a minute, but a couple bad plays and a couple unlucky plays, they played pretty well, decently well, well enough, to, good enough to win. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I would go with that. Discouraging to lose, discouraging to be 0-1, but I think when you talk about so many things that you had and wanted and needed to do better, and that was by and large dialogue for West Virginia throughout the spring and in the summer, and then to see, I would say, very few of them actually enacted and then chief among them, our quarterback's decision-making, our offensive line's run blocking, our depth on defense. Those are just three. If you look at what deteriorated here or reached some sort of condition where it wasn't going to be enough to win, it was the quarterback's decision-making, it was the run game not being able to dictate, and it was the defense not having enough depth to stand up, stand tall among what was becoming an onslaught of snaps. And then four turnovers hurt you. It was, and I said this at halftime on the board, and it turned out to be pretty true. Broken clock, I guess. But the first half, West Virginia did not pay for mistakes. Um, Just the one, a blown coverage, that turned into a pretty big play. But everything else, turnovers, you know, a little this, a little that, they were fine. They were able to push it back. That was not the case in the second half, especially the fourth quarter of the breaks they created with their defense in the third quarter or some field position couldn't take advantage of. The turnovers finally broke them and gave them 10 points, and they went from up one to down by nine because of 10 points. And if you want to become, I don't know, micro, macro, whatever, but if you want to get down into this too, even little things, just little things that we can talk about that were similar to the past, um, just, I don't know, didn't impress in this first one. So 0-1, it's, it's going to be a thing now where you're looking at – Listen, you're looking at one and two 
going into non-conference play, Virginia Tech, a very impressive win. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think a lot of people thought that that was a chance to grab a win and maybe end up 3-0 in non-conference play. Uh, neither is true now. <laughs> You're not going to be 3-0, and I don't think that's as much of a given as people assume so much as a home game against Virginia Tech is a given, but there will be a script on West Virginia and things you can do by the time that that game comes around, and I'm sure that Virginia Tech will have things they can do well in West Virginia to guard against, but um, just for one night here, one afternoon, uh, I would say not the worst-case scenario, but, man, when you look at the mistakes and the lack of improvement there, the talking points out of this are – are kind of like you said, Chris, here we go again. We've seen this before. I thought we were going to see something different. What's the deal? Yeah, you, you know, trying to move in the in a certain direction. And I don't want to say the teams regressed or the programs regressed, but that, that one game, that one singular game, was very reminiscent of 2019 um, when, to be honest, they, they had – I don't want to say excuses. They had reasons that for, for to be in the position they were at. They were trying new quarterbacks. They had guys that they'd just gotten. They had no depth on the team. They were um, had a very inexperienced roster. None of that's true anymore. This is the third year for Daigie. This is the third year with Neil Brown. The roster has been mostly rebuilt. It's almost back you know, at 85 or whatever scholarships you really want to get before you start, you know, save a couple for walk-ons and such. But that, that, you don't have those excuses you had in 2019, and this looked like a 2019 type of game. Um, I would say I'm a little bit hmm, encouraged is not the right word, I guess, but the 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 defense was okay, and I think it looks worse not only because they were out there longer, but those first two touchdowns for Maryland the uh, screen pass, and then the long one over Daryl Porter's head. God, that's just bad luck. Just terrible timing on both of them. On the screen pass, they I believe they blitzed three guys from that left side, or I guess the right side of the defense, left side of the offense. And at the exact time that three guys were blitzing on that side, the only way that play gets beat is if you run, throw a screen pass to where they're, all three of those guys are blitzing from. And that is exactly what Maryland just happened to have dialed up. Um, you know, it wasn't like quarterback made a great play and figured it out as was happening. They had it dialed up, and that's just bad timing. Terrible timing for West Virginia, great timing for Maryland. And I think they had a running back and three blockers, but only two defenders out there. And then the play for Porter, West Virginia also just happened to be screening or uh, blitzing from that side, bringing pressure up with the safeties from that side, meaning – there was no help over top, and at the same exact time they were doing that, and this might have been um, uh, Taga Viola's, you know, a, a good look by him if he saw, if he noticed this pre-snap or even right at the snap. But as they were coming up, it just so happened to be that that guy on the left-hand side, that receiver, was doing a double move. Just so happened to be on that exact play. So that's two big plays resulting two big touchdowns, and. I mean, Darren Porter Jr. could have done a better job, but really that's just, God, that's just bad, bad luck on both of those plays for West Virginia. I hate to say this. It's good coaching, though. They they did an excellent job coaching. I can get into some of that stuff, too, but those were, listen, there's a gamble, but it's also a calculated gamble, too. You're not just just calling sneak eyes because you you have an idea that it will, and they had some good plays. Uh, By the way, screen pass was to a tight end, Chris, Mm -hmm. who I definitely put the spotlight on in the pregame podcast. 
Um, did not expect a tight end screen, but then again, now they're at West Virginia, and that guy's nimble. Like he looked like he knew what he was doing. I thought it was a running back at first because I had my head up and down. I was like, surely they didn't throw a screen to a tight end. They did. It worked, but that and then just, and again, just shot the moon at the right time and got Porter, who did not have help, but didn't help himself on that play. Um, I don't know. We, we, you're right there. I don't think luck or just sometimes you get got, and that's not necessarily your fault. You can't be bulletproof, and West Virginia certainly isn't, but. Um, I don't know, before we get into things, positives. How about that? You want to be sunny for a second? Go for it. You want to start? Yeah, like, I don't – listen, their top-end defense is going to be good. And mm-hmm. if and when they develop depth, those guys will be able to give them better snaps and you don't have to stretch people out as long. And, and they got stretched out today in, in, in critical snaps, too, where you couldn't put backups on because of key situations there, too. But um, I think Josh Chandler Samito is going to be really good at the mic. He played mean today, and he was all over the field in spots. Uh, Mesador still was, I don't want to say it was quiet, but he certainly had some attention. But I know he got in the backfield for that for a sack where I, know, I think Taco Bailoa just fell, but he knew still was coming. Austin looked good. I thought Jefferson had some good snaps. I thought they got some depth from Sean Martin, too. That's promising that on that front. That's good. Secondary, you know, not spectacular. I know they want those safeties to make plays and be more ambitious and gamble and, and generate some rewards. And eh, we'll see. But you know, they, they played really just three corners today. I thought Jackie Matthews looked like he can give them something on the field once he gets back to himself. Their front-line defense, I think, is going to be good. Offensively, I just don't have a lot good to say because what was working wasn't. I thought Jared Dagey had control of the game, really, and then just lost control of the game. And I don't want to say it was taken from him or he was forced out of it. I just I saw him bounce passing to his running back. I saw him throwing into coverage. They had no business throwing into him. Those are things that he knows better than to do, and I'm sure that he's kicking himself for that in the bus right now. But – that's not promising and and let's be honest the receivers did not look different i think that's fair yeah that that wants to i i got a a point in this game i want to talk about and while i'm talking about it i'll give you a moment to think about if you want to talk about am i following along that right there yeah i think so uh what you messaged me during the game what you thought might be about to happen so you think about if you wanted uh to go over that but at one point Jared Dagey was 8 of 10 for 128 yards and a touchdown and had just completed six straight passes in a row. And not just and, that. One, one was a drop, and one was the ball he threw out of bounds. He checked yeah. down. He made perfect throws. I mean, I don't want to say he was 10 for 10, but, like, he could have been 9 for 10. And, and getting out of trouble on one play and then getting a touchdown on the next, I have no problem with that incomplete pass. And then the very next pass, after that 8 for 10, and as you noted, like, the, other, the two misses were, like, if this were pro football focus grading – those would have kind of been, you know, a throwaway and a drop and would not have been marked against him. The next pass was a drop by Winston Wright. The pass after that was a little bit behind, but still hit Sam James in the hands in the end zone. And then the next pass was that that interception, the first interception. Those are his next three passes after that start. And it's almost like, I, I you know, I don't want to be making assumptions and stuff here, but it, it's just... We, we've seen him kind of fall apart uh, with the mental aspect of the game or, or his vision of the game. And he just went from the best maybe 10 pass stretch we've seen from him since he arrived at West Virginia, those first 10 passes, those first 10 decisions to, you know, a couple drops that weren't his fault to one of the worst passes and decisions I've ever seen from a quarterback ever. I mean, I, I, like, I know there's hyperbole, and I know we have recency bias, but it was scrambling under pressure off his back foot on the run on first down into double coverage 
to a backup tight end right after West Virginia had just forced a stop on fourth down. Like, that was terrible. And 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 I think once those three things happen in a row, drop, drop, that decision, that was it. It was like the game was over. It, it, he just wasn't seeing it the same anymore. Let's get into the Jared Dagey portion of the program. It's inevitable. People are probably listening and they want us to get into it. That's fine. You have some of Neil Brown's comments up on the website already. People can go read that. I think what we're going to say is going to parrot him because, again, we have eyeballs and you can watch the game and probably come away with the same conclusion that the coaches and the opponents are going to have here. He wasn't very good. Um, he got off to a hot start. And as you know, Chris, it's scripted. The first mm-hmm. whatever plays or series or it's not even the plays so much. It's when we get into a, a, a down and distance that we like. Here's what we're going to call. We worked on it. So those first 15 plays in a script, they can extend beyond that, too. And he was very good. The question is, if he gets off script you know, and the decision falls to him and he has to see stuff or call stuff, can he do it? And then there were just some very unusual moments. And again, we don't know the play calls or what happened, but we saw him stand up in line, change protection to the left and get sacked on the right. Uh, we saw him hand the ball off to nobody and get sacked. We saw him, you know, again, make some on, on the interception of Banks. He went up and it looked like he pulled Banks over, motioned left to right or moved him on the right side and then look to Banks on the right side, but he's doing the double coverage. And those are things I'd be very interested in the eval from the coaches there. Was that a mistake he made? Did he see something that wasn't there? Did he get tricked? Or was it the right call and he made the wrong play? Either way, those are all bad outcomes. And then, by the way, he called a timeout that he didn't have. And that was just indicative of he didn't have the grasp that he had early. I thought he was in control, looked good. Um, I, I was I was impressed, I would say, that he wasn't running just to run. I was afraid or curious or attuned to the fact that he might be like, listen, I want to run three times in the first half so I can say, hey, look at me. I'm a mobile quarterback. He didn't do that. He could have. He didn't. But that was fine with me. He was under control and he was playing the game as it was there. And then once it started to slip, it really slipped. And listen, that timeout thing is weird. And it's something that you may make a big deal about. And again, why did they not have a timeout? Because they had to chew up a couple they probably didn't want to. But he's got to know that. And you can't stand back there and call a timeout and then have to take a delay a game. Um, it's that's just stuff that in big picture doesn't matter. I think they ended up moving on that drive and converting, but that's the guy who has the controls. And if he can't press the right buttons in that situation, you really have to wonder, you know, is it going to be there later in the game? And it just wasn't there later in the game, save a few moments that just weren't enough. I don't know if we can keep dedicating a segment to horrible offensive timeout calls in the first quarter. Like that became such a thing last year that people were actively just asking us to skip over that part and stop talking about it because it, it infuriates me. And I, 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 I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's not great. It, it, it's not it's not a good sign for, as you noted, a quarterback who is supposed to have control of the offense and for, you know, play callers and a coach that are extremely you know, not extremely, but like controlling, they're in charge of things. They, they have things, they're very detail oriented. And for that to keep happening over and over and over and over again, it's inexcusable, but I will not spend more than 30 seconds on it today. You're welcome. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
I will. Here we go. <laughs> Listen, the the long kickoff return, um, that's a quick change, and guys are getting water, or they're they're expecting they're going to go out in a certain like. Listen, if you're if you're part of the goal line package, you're not getting ready to go on the field when there's a kickoff. You're just not. So I was watching the sideline was chaotic at that moment. Right? They were trying to get people on and off the field, trying to get things right. I think some people thought he scored. Some people weren't sure. I don't know what happened there. And I wasn't paying the studious attention to it, but they called a timeout. They had to. Uh, listen, I'd much rather if I'm this offense have first and two than first and seven. So I'm okay with that one, but it shouldn't happen. You should be more organized than that. Um, Mike, Lock- Mike Loxley outdid him. Uh, called a panic timeout at the end of the first half with like 30 seconds left. He should just let the clock run down and kick and get off the field. So they were dueling at least, but... Um, yeah, small stuff, but again, these are things we talked about before, and you figured they'd be better. Um, and again, Maryland didn't have its act together. Maryland did get its act together, and I thought I really thought they played very well, even without results on offense until they broke through. I thought what they were doing was, was just kind of like they were whacking at the tree, and they were going to knock that defense over, and they did. Like The pace was one thing. They hurried from third down to first down, and those screens outside, making those defensive linemen have to run at the line to make tackles or to pursue, that's not fun. It gasses those guys. And what happened at the end of the game? They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't get out the field. Those snaps add up. And then not only that, but West Virginia's turnovers, first of all, the kickoff return, your defense gets off the field and then has to get right back on the field in the kickoff return. I'm not blaming Winston Wright for that, but they're back on the field again without much of a break. Winston Wright's punt return turnover gets the defense back in the field. Daigie's interception was, I think, the second or third play of a drive. Was it the first? No, second. Either way, early in the drive, so again, you're back on the on the field. Those initial snaps after those quick changes, those accumulate, and they're almost like exaggerated. It's like 1.5 snaps because you haven't gotten on the sideline and gotten your wind, and then it adds up toward the end, and making them run and tackle you, making you chase those guys up the line of scrimmage because you have to go make a tackle because you have an assignment there, they add up, and then they just, again, broke them down at the end. I don't know if they saw that coming, if that was their plan, if that was an adjustment, but it was certainly affected by the Maryland coaches. I got a couple questions for you, Mike, <clears throat> or statements, and you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. I believe after today, I, w- I don't, I don't want to dive too far off the quarterback talk and the offensive talk here, but just something else I was thinking about as we were getting stuff ready post game. I believe Neil Brown might have his answer for starting right tackle and that cornerback opposite Nick Troy Fortune. Your thoughts on those two positions today? Or definitely played more and better. I don't think there's any question. Uh, yeah. Miami Island got introduced, for sure, in, in, in difficult ways. Um, I don't think anybody's perfect on the offensive line by, by any means. No. Those inside guys got after their guard center guard, and the guard center guard's supposed to be the strong spot. Uh, you know, Brandon Gates got beat in the sack, too. He probably could have been better on even if the protection was supposed to go to the right. So, yeah, that's for sure. Um, I'm not sure about corner. I wasn't, I wasn't too mad at Porter. Um, again, made a bad play, but also saved a touchdown later on. Yeah, really good play later. Not sure what he had to do with the breakdown there. He looked like he was shallow and Mahone was chasing a guy, but that probably wasn't Porter's assignment there because that was the inside guy. So um, I know Matthews played well, but Matthews played, I believe he played most of the game inside, correct? Mm-hmm. He was out there a bunch, though. Like, yeah, so. that's the guy that was ahead of Porter, and then everybody says, oh, man, Porter must have had his moment there. No, Matthews wasn't playing practicing for a while. And Brown repeated that today, which was interesting to me, saying, like, hey, you know, once he gets back, he'll be fine. We like him. But it's a good option. I think that that'll work out, too. Um, I would say, yeah, that's probably a good, probably a good assumption by you for sure. Yeah, I was saying that way. And, and you're right. Porter, that one, tough, tough go there. But then I don't want to say then Porter was bad the rest of the day because you're right. He had that great play, really great timing 
on that one. He, he kind of got beat a little bit. He, he was kind of sticking with his man on a deep pass, stuck his hand in at just the right time, just as you're taught to do. It was, it was textbook um, for those kind of plays. But I think, I think Matthews played well. I mean, I guess we'll find out when, when the coaches get to watch the tape and we get to see some of these scouting grades after it. But I thought he played well at first sight, and, and he might be the guy moving forward, at least kind of like this, where he's out there a bunch. And, and West Virginia is really, truly starting to play more than two cornerbacks at a time. Um, I thought Scotty Young was good, too. He was active. Yeah. Um, and again, Porter, I thought Porter made a couple of nice plays against the run and specifically against a screen pass that could have scored. Yeah, that one slip one. Yeah. yeah. That was a good play. And again, his confidence, I don't think, faded too much. His pedigree is, is there. I don't think he's worried about a touchdown or whatever. I'm sure he's embarrassed by it, but I'm pretty sure he want to get back out there and do it, too. Um, one more. Eh, I don't know. I don't want to get to that. That'll be my, my closing question here, I guess, too. But uh, it just... I don't know. It just it just seems to me like this is fairly common. You give the other team four extra possessions. You give your defense some some quick turnarounds. The stats just kind of show the stats. The, the stats kind of show that the snaps added up and they were effective toward the end. But I just the one the one question we have answered now is that I think Maryland's offense is going to be pretty good. They play like that, but more directly, Taco Bailoa looks like he can certainly play quarterback in the in the FBS, the Big Ten at this level. Yep, I think he's. I, he he really bought some time. I thought his receivers didn't help him. Well, excuse me. Uh, they helped him some, for sure, on some of those long plays. But there were a few other plays where he created some time, found a man, and then a man dropped the ball. Um, it, he was really kind of running for his life for a stretch there, kind of in the middle of the game, that second and third quarter. But uh, when was I'm trying to remember when that was. It was first half sometime, and we spent all this time talking about, and we pulled the stats up of his deep middle passes and he threw seven of them last year and four of those seven passes were picks and Maryland had a third and 16 and he threw a dart right down the middle of the field, 20 some yards first down Maryland goes on to score a touchdown a couple plays later. Um, you know, that's, Hey, that's why we have off seasons. That's why I have new years. That's how you develop and get better as a player. And that, that, that one play was like, well, that was the one weakness we were talking about him having. And now he's just crushing it. So uh, he's a good player. He's a good team. You know, there's two ride receivers. You got two great receivers and a really good quarterback and they get 80 cracks at you. I believe that's what Neil Brown said was 80 snaps. They're going to score some points. Yeah. First 300 yard passer since Jet Duffy in, 2019 against West Virginia. That's a defense that led the nation in fewest yards per game last year. Just just looked good. Um, and then conversely, West Virginia's deep passing game, I had two attempts. One, I think Diego could have done a better job leading Bryce Ford Wheaton. Bryce Ford Wheaton's not probably a guy who's going to make the most acrobatic catches. Uh, just didn't have a chance to do something there. And then they hit one to Sam James for 39 yards right before the interception. Um, let me get to this. Pass, pass inside the 10 down there. The second one is intercepted. Um, which is just one of those plays that happens sometimes. You run that that quick concept where you the outside guy smashes and the cornerback jumps in because you think it might be a quick out there, which means he's leaving that back corner open. The corner, I just I don't think he was respecting it. I'm not sure if Bryce Forwheaton ran a great route to free Sam James in that post into the corner, but there's two defenders there. I'm I'm assuming as soon as they let that go, he was like, oh boy, I hope that hits the turf because it was probably going to hit somebody in white before it hit somebody in blue. Yeah, I mean I saw the same thing. I don't know if we saw exactly the same thing, but uh, what Neil Brown was trying to describe in postgame, that other defensive back, the one that ended up with the interception, completely and totally bailed on his man, just bailed on him. Like he knew 
and maybe this is scouting. Maybe this was Maryland scout and they knew like, Hey, when they line up like this and do this from this area of the field, this is where they're going to go. And he just bit on it and went straight to that corner. Like he had no interest in defending his own man, went straight back to the corner and it was like, uh, Diggy was throwing the ball right to him. So a uh, great play by that guy, but I don't know if that's a bad read from Diggy, uh, being a little too obvious in the play calling or what, but um, man, just not, not a great way to see this offense after, you know, you return so many skill position players and, and it just doesn't even look as good as it did last year. Six point five yards, six point five yards per pass isn't going to do it. You got to stretch the field a little bit more, and um, this wasn't there. Um, I don't know, it's interesting, but I would say this about Daigie too, and this was a surprise, but I looked it up. That was his first interception while trailing as West Virginia's quarterback. Can you believe that? Yep. I mean, I can't believe it, but that's I saw you tweeted earlier, so I can believe it. But man. 237 attempts playing from behind. He had not thrown a pick, and that was a heck of a time for that, which means it's a heck of a time for this question, Chris. Um, he's not going to play four quarters coming up against Long Island. Um, Diggy is going to, I don't know, lead them like a 35 to 10 halftime lead or something like that. He may play three quarters. They're going to put Green in, and like Green is not going to hand the ball off. Um, they're going to want to see what he can do live because you can't have many more days like this. Um, what you alluded to before, I really thought he was going in. Um, I was not paying attention to it, but this caught my eye. I saw his hair bouncing up and down the sideline. He was running from one end to the middle to get his helmet, or to get a ball. He started flicking it back and forth with Will Crowder. Um, the defense got a stop. He hugged Crowder. He talked to a coach. I'm not sure, um, but somebody. And then some players patted him on the helmet. I thought he was going in. Um, that obviously did not happen. He continued to stay warm and throw on the sideline and have people come by and tap him on the shoulders or the head or whatever. I don't think they're just saying what's up to Garrett Green <laughs> um, because they see him on the sideline during a game that's this competitive. I, I really wonder if there was an idea that maybe he was going in. They said, hey, get ready. It may happen. But I, I honestly, my observation was I thought it was going to happen. And, again, you can't have a lot of days like this because it's the devil you know right now. Like, if you if, if this is going to be day game, let's give him a chance to improve because we saw the good as well as the bad today. Let's give the good a chance to take over for sure. But if this happens again against, I don't know, Virginia Tech at home, against Texas Tech at home, someone like that. I don't know how long you go ahead with this, too. So I would assume that they're going to give him some run and they're going to give him the playbook against Long Island. I don't think it's going to be Tony Mathis getting 16 handoffs in the fourth quarter. I think it's going to be Green seeing if he can do anything. Does that, does that level up with you? I think so. I mean, I in 2019, I think everybody was calling for the change to Diggy. And it, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And it, it, it seemed like Brown was kind of just waiting for the right moment. When was the right moment to make that move? And I was, it, it, when you messaged me that as it was happening, and this was still, because this was a few drives, like this wasn't like late in the fourth quarter or anything like this. This was third quarter sometime, like not too terribly late in the game. And I kept thinking to myself, yeah, I think he's got to make that move. But is this the right drive? you know, when West Virginia is up one and I'm like, cause you don't want to be up one and then you bring in the starting quarterback, something goes wrong and then you're losing. And then you've lost both quarterbacks in that point. And so then 
it goes and then Maryland takes the lead. And then I'm like, well, is this the right moment when they're down two and they might be driving to take the lead? Do you really switch quarterbacks midstream at that point? I don't know. It was like, so it was such a tight game that it never felt like the right moment to me. And maybe this is the same way Brown went. Cause you're right. There's no, absolutely no other reason for them to go through that whole scene you just described unless Garrett Green was about to go in the game. And I think it was one of those situations where it just couldn't find the right spot to stick him in the game. When does he go in the game? Man, I, but then we get to the games, like, you know, in between games, is sticking him in for Long Island to start the game, for instance, the best idea? Because I, I Mike, no offense to Long Island, no offense to, uh, to you, but you could walk out there and, and go 25 of 30 for 300 yards and a couple touchdowns against Long Island. So Garrett Green's the opener now. He's like the, the Tampa Bay Ray. <laughs> that starts the game. Uh, listen, I think he's going to play, and I think he had to get in the script. I think everybody's going to be looking for that, too, and you might get some groans if he's out there in a 31-point in a game in the fourth quarter just trying to get refs. That's not going to happen here, too. Uh, last stat will go. Neil Brown was 40-1 and one before today when he leads entering the fourth quarter. Oof. Oof. It took two turnovers, 10 unanswered points that to go the other way. So, um, again, there's, there's some anomaly stuff here. Again, two out of 42, that's not a pattern yet. But it's not a pattern. But there are some things we saw before that we saw tonight that I'm not saying pattern, but certainly are familiar enough that gives you cause for pause. Well, Mike, uh, you want to get ready to wrap this up because I think one of us has to go post on the board to open things up for questions for a podcast coming up in a couple of days. That'll be you. I'm driving back to my hotel, and I got <laughs> I got three things I think, three things I know that'll all be football related to this game coming up in the morning. We'll do some snap counts. We'll probably talk a little bit about the quarterback situation um, because that seems to be inevitable, and I'm sure it'll just intensify as the days matriculate forward toward that Long Island game. We finally have something to look forward to against Long Island. It's Garrett Green snap counts. What do you say? Uh, let's check it out. Let's get ready as it. It could be a long couple weeks because I just I have this feeling of quarterback unrest. Losing to a rival in the season opener, quarterback unrest, and then this second game against a team that, quite frankly, I don't think any of the fans care about, and or at least are just fully expecting it to be a blowout. So there's not going to be much to be interested in watching on the field that day, except for the quarterback unrest. We will stir it up. I'm sure that's what we do. Uh, <laughs> until then, I am Mike Casaza, and I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you next time.